Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Sikeshida is the Chief of Optometric Services for the Center for the Parsi Sighted here in Los Angeles, as well as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. Dr. Bill offers these informative monthly tele- teleconferences um, the second Tuesday of each month, and each conference, each seminar is about a 30 to 45-minute lecture, and then he does open up the call for some questions a bit later after his lecture. Um, the Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. And thank you all for joining us tonight, and thank you, Dr. Bill. Thank you very, very much, Sue. And I wanted to thank all of you for attending this evening. It's very, very nice to have so many people who are interested in learning more about vision. And we also make these programs available for you to listen to at a later date through podcasts. And the podcasts are available at the Braille Institute webpage, which is www.brailleinstitute.org, and also at AIRSLA, and that is www.airsla.org. So this evening, we're going to be talking about strabismus and amblyopia. And the reason that we talk about this is because this is one of the more common types of visual conditions that we do see among children. You know, many of us often think that children have healthy eyes and they see very normally when they're born. But the reality is that children have very, very poor vision at birth. Children are generally only able to focus during the first month of life at a distance between 8 to 16 inches things that are further away are very, very blurry. And we also know that during the first month of life, children primarily could only see black and white. But with each month of life, the visual regions of the brain, which is in the back portion of your brain, these brain cells become stimulated and children begin to develop a sharper vision. They begin to develop the ability to move their eyes, to follow on your face or another toy, and they also learn to develop better color vision, depth perception, and many other visual skills. So it's very important to remember that vision is a learned and developed skill, and during the first five years of life, there's a tremendous amount of changes in vision that may occur. And this is why you may see a child who is 12 months old, and that child might be very, very uncoordinated and has difficulty reaching for something and grabbing it. But when the child gets older, this child can become an incredible athlete if the visual cells of the brain develop properly and the child then develops normal eye-hand coordination and depth perception and so on. So today we're going to talk about strabismus and amblyopia. Now strabismus is the term that is used to describe when one or both eyes are not properly aligned. Now, you may have seen children where it appears that maybe their eyes look like they're crossing inward towards the nose. Or maybe both eyes are pointing outward towards the ears. Or maybe you might see a child where it appears that maybe one eye is pointing higher 
or lower than the other eye. These are things that are very, very common, and we see that about 4 to 5% of all children will have strabismus. Now, when a child has strabismus, the main consequence that we have to be aware of is if two eyes are not pointing at the same object, the child will very often see double vision. You could think of this as, what if you were looking through a pair of binoculars and you were at the Dodger game watching the Dodgers, and one of the binocular lenses was focused at home plate, but the other one was focusing on the outfield? Well, what would happen is that you would see two different images. One eye would see the batter, and the other would see the outfielder, and your brain would say, God, this doesn't make any sense. What is going on? So this type of double vision is something that is very, very confusing for the child. And when children do have double vision early on in life, they often don't know if this is normal or not because they haven't ever seen before. Now, when a child sees double vision, very often they could become very, very startled. They don't like it many times if you're going to pick them up because they may have been looking at something on the wall and then suddenly a mom or dad comes and picks up the child and they didn't expect that. Number two, when the eyes are not aligned properly, in addition to double vision, the children do not have normal depth perception. So you could imagine that if you did not have normal depth perception, and it might appear to you that maybe your auntie or uncle is much further away, and the next thing you know, you feel somebody grabbing you out of your crib, you could become very startled. And it's because of the fact that your depth perception was reduced. And we see many children who do have this for business, they often don't like to be picked up, or they might be very easily startled. And many times they don't show that very, very high willingness to interact with people because of the double vision and the reduced depth perception. Now, when children have strabismus, another type of thing that also is affected is that they often may not have the ability to move their eyes normally. Now, typically, a child will learn to move his or her eyes to follow your face or to follow an object at about four to five months of age. Before that time, children don't tend to move their eyes, but they rather move their head to follow. Now, the children with strabismus often have difficulty controlling their eye muscles, and as a result, it might be very difficult for them to follow something that is moving. And they may become very dizzy if they're looking at toys or other things that are moving. They also may prefer to be in an area that is very quiet. They may not like it if you have relatives over every weekend because as there's more people moving, it is so confusing for them to try to follow them with their eyes that they often feel nauseous and get very, very sick. Now, when a child has difficulty with moving their eyes, that also will affect the development of their eye-hand coordination. You could imagine that if you were going to reach for a champagne glass and pour it, cup of champagne, but you were not able to move your eyes. You might be very, very hesitant and very careful as you're reaching to grab that champagne cup. 
you may actually knock it over or you may find two or three times that you're reaching for it and you're not even at the location of the cup. That is because of the fact that with the poor depth perception of the shabbosness, you think you're reaching towards the cup, but the cup might actually be 12 inches away. So the development of eye-hand coordination is going to be affected. Similarly, the development of the eye movement, the ability to move the body and to crawl and to roll, to reach towards toys or other things you see, they may also be impacted because of the strabismus. So overall, you could tell that strabismus plays a very, very important role in the development of many visual skills, and it's very, very important that we have all children evaluated for strabismus. Now, many parents will say, well, I don't think I need to go in to get an appointment because I look at my baby every day and my baby's eyes always look straight. I have never seen the eyes to be crossed. Well, this is true. Many parents are going to be very careful observers, but the reality is the eyes might be misaligned by one unit, and for a person who is not an eye doctor to be able to identify strabismus, the eyes have to be misaligned by 15 units. So in other words, in research studies that ask parents to determine whether or not their children have crossed or crossed eyes, we find that that is not an accurate type of screening because of the fact that parents generally could only identify an eye that is misaligned if the degree of the misalignment is 15 units or greater. And there's many times that a child's eye misalignment might be five units or six units, sometimes only one or two units. So this is why we do recommend that all children will have their eyes examined at the first year of life. The reason we say at the first year of life is that at 12 months of age is when we expect most children to be able to coordinate the alignment of their eyes together. So at 12 months, we begin to expect the children to have normal alignment of the eyes. Now, many parents will be willing and they want to bring their children in earlier. They could come in at one month of age and we could measure the alignment of the eye. The importance of that is if we do identify that the eye is misaligned at that time, we can begin treatment and we can eliminate the double vision. The way that we help children who do have that type of double vision from strabismus at that early age is, first of all, we will measure whether or not that the child needs glasses. When we prescribe glasses to help a child to see more clearly, very often that will improve the alignment of the eyes. In other cases, we will incorporate a lens that is called a prism lens. And the prism lens is a special lens that could deflect light. And we could put a degree of prism in there that is equal to the misalignment of the eye. So let's take, for example, that we have a child who has one eye that is pointing upward by four units. Well, we have instruments where we could measure that very precisely. And then we would just prescribe a prism of four units in the glasses 
and the child will no longer see double vision. That will enable the child to develop normal eye movements, normal eye-hand coordination, normal depth perception, and we could do all of those as young as one month of age. So overall, we do recommend that children will have their eyes examined at that very early time. After we do things such as glasses and prisms, we will also then give parents and teachers specific exercises. And these are exercises that are just fun and games. And we could use things such as a light box. We could use the Apple iPad. We could use colorful toys. We could decorate the baby's bottle and encourage the baby to follow it from one location to another to develop the use of those eye muscles. Now, generally speaking, we will refer some children who have what we call a large angle, a very large misalignment to the eyes. We'll refer them to ophthalmologists who specialize in strabismus. The reason for this is that some cases of strabismus may be due to the fact that there might be a tumor. There could be a tumor that's affecting the nerve that controls the muscles of the eye. So we will want these kids to be evaluated by the ophthalmologist so that we could make certain that there isn't a tumor. Now, some children will require eye muscle surgery, but the period of time that a child needs the glasses and then surgery it will be independent on each case. So, for example, we may then recommend that a child will wear the glasses for a period of three to six months, and then we will measure how misaligned are the eyes again. The reason for this is that many times by wearing the glasses and allowing the child to develop, the eye misalignment will get better. So let's take an example. Let's say that we have a child who has crossed eyes. And when we measure it the very first visit, the child's misalignment of the eye is very severe. It is 50 units, five zero units. Now that is a degree of misalignment that we expect. This child is going to need surgery. We wouldn't expect glasses to be able to straighten that degree of misalignment of the eye. Now, we will not refer that child to have that surgery immediately. We will recommend that this child is going to wear glasses, and then we will measure the alignment of the eyes in a month or two months later. When that child comes back after one month and we measure the misalignment of the eye, we may then measure that the misalignment is now only 30 units. It is not 50 units misaligned. And this tells us that the glasses has improved the alignment of the eyes, and also it confirms that it was a good idea we did not recommend surgery already, because if the child went in for surgery the first time and the doctor adjusted the eye muscles, to straighten 50 units of misalignment. We then know that months later, the eyes would have been drifting outward by 20 units. So in other words, we don't want the surgeons to adjust and cut the muscles too early 
because with time, the alignment of the eyes might get better. So when is a good time for surgery? We usually are going to recommend surgery. If it is going to be needed, we'd like to recommend surgery before the age of two years and after the misalignment of the eyes is stable. If we see that every month that the child comes back and the misalignment is getting better and better and better and better, we won't recommend the surgery quite yet. But when it has stabilized and it is stable for the past three months, we could then expect a much better surgical result. Now, when we talk about strabismus, there's really three main types of strabismus. One of them is called esotropia, and you spell that E-S-O-T-R-O-P-I-A. And esotropia is when the eyes are crossing inward towards the nose. This is something that we probably see more frequently in children. And it's also very interesting is that with esotropia, it is one of the forms of strabismus that is most easily treated with glasses. Many children who have the crossed eyes or esotropia, their eyes are also farsighted. And when we give the children glasses to allow them to see more clearly, many times their eyes will just straighten up immediately. Another thing that's also very interesting about esotropia is that many children will appear, appear to have a crossed eye, but it's actually only an illusion. When you look at most Asian babies, their eyes often appear crossed. If you look at children with Down syndrome, their eyes often appear to be crossed. But when we actually measure it, it really is not. And the reason that the eyes appear to be crossed is due to an illusion caused by the width of the bridge of the nose. Children with Down syndrome and Asian babies many times have a very wide bridge of the nose. And as a result, you don't see a lot of the whites of the eyes that are near the nose. All you see is the skin. So that creates the illusion that the eyes are crossed, and we could do measurements and very, very accurate measure if the alignment is straight or not. And as these children will grow older, we often will then notice that their eyes appear to be straightening. And the eyes did not straighten, but it's actually the fact that the bridge of the nose has increased. So with esotropia, we often correct it very easily because these children need glasses. And number two, many times the eyes appear to be crossed, but they actually are not crossed. That's because the wide bridge of the nose. Now, a second form of strabismus is called exotropia, and that is spelled E-X-O-T-R-O-P-I-A. Now, this is the opposite situation where the eyes appear to be pointing outward going outward towards the ear. And parents often recognize this because they often say, you know, my child doesn't really look at me. He's always looking at something behind me. And that is because the one eye is pointing outward 
it creates the appearance that maybe the child is looking at something that is behind you, but there is nothing there. Now, the third form of strabismus is called vertical tropia, and that is when one eye will point higher than the other. Now, with all of these particular types of cases, it's individualized, and we need to determine whether or not the child needs glasses, if the child needs prisms, and how the child responds to some of these exercises. Once we have stabilized it, we could then refer for surgery, and children do very, very well. Now, one of the questions about strabismus is, what about vision therapy exercises? Can I go to my child's school, and can the teacher perform exercises to straighten my child's eyes? And the answer to that is no. Vision therapy is a program that can only be provided by licensed doctors of optometry and ophthalmologists. Teachers and other types of assistants are not legally allowed to perform vision therapy. Vision therapy is usually performed in the offices of the doctors or it might be at the patient's home. And this is when special equipment and different types of lenses are used to straighten the eyes of a child. Vision therapy is effective at straightening the eyes of many children and many adults. It is very effective. But the question is, how long will it take to straighten the eyes? And will the child be able to keep the eyes straight very comfortably after? Let me give you an example. I was working with a child when I first graduated from eye doctor school, and the child was eight years old. He was having tremendous difficulties at school, losing his place when he was reading. He had crossed eyes, called esotropia, and we performed a vision therapy. He worked very, very hard, and he was really making a lot of progress. And within a period of 12 weeks, after 12 weeks, he was able to just keep his eyes straight. He, nobody ever noticed that he had a crossed eye. And I said, that is wonderful. And he says, yes, I could keep my eyes straight or I could let them cross. And I said, well, how's school? How's reading? How's writing? He says, well, to be quite honest, Dr. Bill, is that when I keep my eyes straight so I don't see double vision when I'm reading, I get really tired and I get these real severe headaches. So I could keep it straight, but I can't do it for long because I get these kinds of headaches. So I just tend to close one eye, and I just read with just one eye. Now that's a situation there where, true, the vision therapy was able to straighten his eyes, but the amount of physical effort he had to exert to keep his eyes straight was too much. So in that particular case, we did refer him for eye muscle surgery so that he wouldn't have to work as hard to keep his eyes straight. So the point to this is that vision therapy is effective at straightening the eyes in some cases, but in some cases we have to take into consideration how much work will this child have to exert to keep the eyes straight. If it's going to be a tremendous amount of work the child has to exert, we then may want to refer for surgery as well.
Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about is called amblyopia, A-M-B-L-Y-O-P-I-A. Now, amblyopia occurs in about 4% of all children, and amblyopia is a very interesting condition in which a child does not see clearly, even when you put glasses on, and there is no disease to the eyes. In other words, these kids have healthy eyes. They don't have cataracts. They don't have glaucoma. They don't have retinopathy of prematurity. But when we measure their vision, even after putting glasses on them, their vision may be very blurred. Their vision might be 20 over 200 in each eye, and they can be diagnosed as being legally blind. Now, what we do know about amblyopia is that the reason these children do not see clearly is because the brain cells in the back of the brain did not receive proper stimulation during the first three years of life. So for these kids, their eyes are healthy, but the brain did not receive proper stimulation during the first three years of life. Now, why wouldn't the brain receive normal stimulation? Number one, some of these kids live in very poor living situations. We were seeing a lot of kids that were coming to the United States from Romania, and these children had healthy eyes, but their vision was blurred. And we later found out that these kids were Romanian orphans, and they didn't have toys and other things to play with to stimulate the development of vision. Number two, children may also develop amblyopia if they were never prescribed glasses when they needed them. Let's say that we have a child who is one month old and the child has very, very poor vision because this child needs glasses. But unfortunately, there are many, many children who never receive an eye examination by an eye doctor. Some of them might have an examination by their pediatrician, but the pediatrician generally does not measure the need for glasses. So these children often are not prescribed glasses, and for the first three or four or maybe even the first five years of life, that child has never had an eye examination And during those first five years of life, the brain cells that are responsible for vision did not receive stimulation. And finally, the school nurse does a vision screening, and we find that this child is legally blind. The doctor makes glasses for this child. We put the glasses on, and the glasses make no improvement whatsoever. That is called amblyopia. The third form of amblyopia can be if a child does not have straight eyes. Let's say that the child has a crossed eye, esotropia, and nothing is done about the esotropia early on. Well, in these cases, the brain will begin to shut itself down to try and eliminate seeing double vision. As the brain begins to turn off the vision of one eye and then the other, 
it affects the development of those brain cells, and so that these children also have very, very blurred vision. Now, the good thing about this is that if we identify that a child has amblyopia before the age of three, we could become very, very successful in improving the vision of these children by prescribing glasses and patching. So the purpose of the glasses is to focus the light onto the retina very sharply and to send a signal to the visual region of the brain. Now what we do with the patching is if a child has one eye that sees better than the other eye, we will patch the better seeing eye to force the child to use the weaker eye. And by forcing the child to use the weaker eye, by playing video games, watching movies, doing anything that they enjoy doing, it then stimulates the brain cells that correspond to the weaker eye, and the vision of the weaker eye will improve. Now, we know that the prognosis of improving the vision of amblyopia is best if we identify it earlier in life. If we identify a child who may have amblyopia and they're six months old, we're going to be able to treat it by the time that they're 12 months. But we could still also treat children who have amblyopia, maybe that they're 9 or 10 or 11 or 12. We could also treat adults who have amblyopia, but it may take longer. So the thing here is that with amblyopia, there is no surgery to stimulate the brain, but by doing therapy, by using glasses and patching, we can stimulate those brain cells and we could improve the vision. Now there are situations where Children may have poor depth perception, poor eye-hand coordination. They cannot accurately move their eyes from left to right in a reading pattern. What we find is that by doing these kinds of activities early on in life, these kids can develop the ability to play sports and to read and to write. And as they perform better, it's really amazing to see how their self-confidence improves. But if they're a child who has any of these problems and they're trying to read out loud, they can't maintain their place, and they are often very embarrassed to try to read out loud in class. So the main thing to tonight's lecture is that strabismus and amblyopia are very common eye conditions that do affect children. The treatment for it is very, very successful, and the prognosis improves the earlier in life that we do treat it. In some cases, a child may require eye muscle surgery to straighten the eye, but eye muscle surgery is something that is very, very successful, very, very effective. So in the old days, Strabismus eye muscle surgery was pretty much a hit and miss. There was a lot of estimation. 
but we now have ways that we could be much, much more precise and more accurate. Children today can also receive multiple eye muscle surgeries. In other words, let's say that a two-year-old has eye muscle surgery to straighten the eye, and then 10 years later, the eyes start to cross again. Is it possible to do eye muscle surgery again? And the answer is yes. It's very, very possible to do that. So we want to make certain and we try to educate families and other professionals that all children should really try to have eyes examined at least at six months of life or earlier so that we can make certain that all of these visual skills are developing normally and if there is something that's wrong, we can begin the intervention. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and open it up and answer any questions you may have. And to unmute your phone, press star 6, and you could introduce yourself and ask your question. Or if you prefer not to introduce your name, that is fine also. You could just ask your questions. Dr. Oh. Bill? Yes. This is Nancy with Braille. Yes. Hi, Nancy. Go ahead. I have a question. Um, you know, nowadays they always do the newborn hearing screen. And I'm just wondering, um, because I have t three grandchildren, and they all get, you know, their routine medical appointments, but that is not part of routine care a referral to the ophthalmologist or optometrist. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that there are vision examinations for every newborn child at this time. I don't believe that that is the case. Mm -hmm. But if a but child even at 6 months, I mean they get their immunizations um but there aren't referrals made at 6 months or even at a year that I'm aware of. <clears throat> Yes, yes. So I do know that children who are born prematurely, they do receive an examination in the hospital by an ophthalmologist. But mm -hmm. as far as all other children, are they recommended to have a vision examination? I, I don't know that that is always being done. So if you could educate families of the importance of having a, a vision examination, uh, that would be very helpful. Also, um, it's good to keep in mind that Medicaid, Medi-Cal, they will pay for vision examination for these babies also. Thank you, Nancy. Next question. Hi, doctor. I have a quick question. Um, my daughter was just diagnosed with retinal dystrophy. I have a two-year-old, no, now a three-year-old son, and... Um, my question is: Is she gonna? Is he gonna have the same issues? I don't see um, any concerns as far as what my daughter had experienced at an early age, because at three she was already wearing glasses. Uh, I just want to know: Should I just go ahead and take them immediately, just to clear my mind and try to get a, a, an assessment of her, his eyes, um, just to? Weigh that option out. I, I'm just thinking um, because of his behavior, I'm kind of concerned about how is the assessment going to be accurate because he's not going to. I feel he's not going to cooperate. Um, as far as the, at the center for the partially sighted, do you think that 
they will be able to meet his needs as far as um, kind of providing the assessments to get, get his attention. Yes, I think it would be a good idea for him to have his vision evaluated. And mm-hmm. pediatric eye doctors, such as the doctors at the Center for the Partially Sighted, they have so many different techniques to okay. try to get his attention, watching videos, playing video games, other things like that. So, yes, that would be something that I think would be very helpful. Okay, great. Thank you. I will follow up with that. Thank you, Doctor. Okay, thank you. Okay. Oh, okay, thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Uh, next question. Does anybody have another question about strabismus or amblyopia? Dr. Bill, it's Nancy again. Yes, Nancy, go ahead. Can you review some activities that might be helpful for children who are working on developing better depth? Yes. Well, you know, the first thing is that we want to make certain that the child has equal clarity of sight between the right and the left eyes. So that will first involve determining whether or not the child needs glasses. If the child has amblyopia, we're then going to recommend the patching exercises, and these patching exercises will include patching the stronger eye and allowing the child to play games. It could be video games or watching movies, playing checkers. They could play light bright, all sorts of other things using their weaker eye. And what that will do is it will develop the vision of the weaker eye so the weaker eye could see more clearly. Now, what's real interesting, Nancy, is once the two eyes see equally, that is when we begin to see the depth perception to develop. So at that point in time, we could do things such as we could inflate a balloon and play volleyball with a balloon. We could play toss with a balloon. We could suspend a wiffle ball from the ceiling of a patio and play catch. We could roll a soccer ball on the ground across from each other and play catch. We could toss socks into a wastebasket. Mm-hmm. So all sorts of different types of things would develop. <clears throat> Excuse me. All these kinds of activities would develop the depth perception. It could even be just going for a walk. And if you walk with your child, anytime you see a, a crack in the sidewalk, tell them to jump on it with both feet. Okay, Sue, you have any questions? I, you know, you've answered, <laughs> once again, you've, you've managed to answer all my questions just with your lecture. <laughs> I appreciate, we really appreciate all you're, you're doing. Uh, for us, um, I think it's a great. Um, I, those are great, some great activities too. I think if you're said anything that requires them to be able to to be outside and look and walk and and do multiple things, it's great. You know, great, great, uh, great activities to to improve that depth perception. Thank you. Does anybody else have any other questions? Okay. If anybody does have any questions, uh, feel free to email me. You could email me at Dr. Bill Foundation. That's D-R-B-I-L-L foundation at gmail.com. And again, I want to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Ayers LA for recording this. This will be available at www.airs, 
A-I-R-S-L-A, that's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org, and at www.brailleinstitute.org. And Sue, I want to thank you as always for organizing this lecture. And uh, I'm going to turn over to you to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next month. Sure. Well, we're really um, excited about our next topic. Uh, it'll be an overview of cortical visual impairment. Um, this is a topic that continues to be um, something that we all are um, have you know, scratch our heads about and try to figure out how to best serve these children. So we're looking forward to your lecture on that one. Okay, great. All right, so we'll see all of you next month. Thank you very much.